no matter how big a fan you think you are of a band, there's always going to be someone who's a bigger fan. It begs the question, who then is bigger than the biggest fan? Who's at the top of the chain? When it comes to the rock band Kiss, the person at the top, or at least one of them, is San Francisco's Jonathan Fenno. Known in the Kiss underground, Fenno is an uber Kiss fanatic. His collection, which he'll rattle off part of in this podcast episode, is more than extensive. He's been a source and a reference for Kiss books. He's been quoted in Spin magazine pertaining to Kiss. And he's the lead singer slash guitarist, or should I say the Paul Stanley in Destroyer, one of America's leading Kiss tribute bands. Now, the reason I decided to do a podcast with Fenno was because in episode 24 with guitarist and fellow KISS devotee Marty Friedman, I relayed a story told to me by Death Angel drummer Will Carroll about his crazy friend and this crazy friend's KISS fanaticism. If you can't remember, here's an excerpt from the podcast with Marty when I told him the stories. Um, you know, in terms of collectibles, there was recently um, Death Angel came through town, through Toronto, and uh, I was hanging out with those guys. We started talking. I started talking to, uh, to Will, their drummer, Will Carroll, about Kiss. Now, he's like a humongous Kiss fan, too, and I just uh, wanted to share with you a couple of stories he told me, and this falls under the topic of Kiss collectibles, and his, he's got a friend... Um, who is a insane kiss collector and uh now gene had uh it's been pointed out he had a fanzine called i believe cosmos stiletto right he used to do this thing this uh, cosmos stiletto now this guy is well known i think by gene and paul and some of the kiss members for being like an uber fan um so gene i guess when one of his books was up for sale and he was doing the tour, the book tours and stuff. He was doing a signing in a bookstore. This guy showed up to the signing and instead of presenting Gene with the book that he's supposed to sell, he just put a copy that he had found of Cosmo Stiletto on the table for Gene. And like, (laughs) (laughs) apparently from what Will tells me, Gene just like stopped the presses, just looked at him. He knew who he was and he just goes, how much for this? And he started oh. like I don't know what he started at, but it got up to like ten grand, fifteen. <laughs> and the the guy just kept saying no, no, no. He wouldn't reveal how he acquired this fanzine. But but finally, he, Gene just goes, okay, well, what do you want for this? Like this is a copy of his childhood. Like how many copies were even made? Like how did this guy get? I don't even know. It's it's, it's he never revealed how he got it. He didn't know. Apparently, according to Will, he never told Gene where he got it from. And when Gene asked him what what he wanted for trade, the guy goes, "Your guitar strap from Kiss Alive, the album cover, the guitar strap that you wore on Kiss Alive." <laughs> and Gene wouldn't give it up. Ah. And I, I don't understand. Maybe Gene's got more copies of Cosmo Stiletto at home. But, man, I'm telling you, this is like something from your childhood. Dude, that's a great story. Yeah. And the other story is uh, 
for any Kiss fans, or if you're not a Kiss fan, if you look on the back cover of Kiss Alive, the first one, Kiss Alive 1, there right. is this famous photo of these two kids holding up their Kiss Rules uh, picture. Uh, what do you call this? Like a poster? They, what do you right. call those things when people go to concerts with huge flyers that I say Kiss? It's a, ban- a banner. A, a banner, right. They're, the two guys are holding the banner. Now, he found out, and I believe one of those guys ended up in a name band. And uh, he showed up to one of the guys. He found out which guy owns the banner because, uh, I guess, according to the KISS Army, that's the number one most valued collectible because there's only one in existence. And it's just so famous. It's not just any banner. It's the Kiss Alive banner. So he shows up to this guy's house. He flew out there unannounced. This is all according to Will from Death Angel told me this. Shows up to this guy's house, knocks on his door. The guy opens the door and he goes, you know, how much for the banner? And the guy chased him off. His, his, <laughs> he his, found his the guy's property. house? He found out where he lived. And the guy just chased him out of his property. Just going like, you that's know, fun. you're nuts. That's funny shit, man. But when you think about it, that poster is the most – that banner is the most collectible Kiss item, really. I think that and, like, copies of Cosmo Stiletto, like, I can't think of anything that's more valuable for a Kiss fan to own. I think it's about as valuable for Gene and Paul, too. They'd pay huge sums for it. Mm. Okay, okay. That was – an excerpt from episode 24 with Marty Friedman. And that guy that I was telling Marty about was Jonathan Fenno. And you're about to hear him tell the stories himself. Clear the air and show you that loving kiss is almost like a religion. Before the interview, I have to be honest, going only on what I heard from Will, I thought Jonathan was a little off his rocker. But during the course of our conversation, as you will hear, I found him to be a very sincere and warm-hearted dude, a KISS fan that does the band proud. Reception at the beginning of the interview was crystal clear, as you'll hear, but as we kept talking, for some reason, the line started to cut in and out more frequently. We We were using Skype, and it was more Skype than anything else that caused it. No worry, though. The best parts of of our our talk were were caught perfectly. There are a few people I'd like to thank for this episode. Firstly, Will and Ted from Death Angel. When Death Angel were in Toronto, uh, maybe last year, in 2011, I was hanging out with a band on their bus, and we were just, just hanging out, and these stories came up. When they came up again, when Death Angel came past through... uh, Toronto this past fall, the idea to do this podcast with Jonathan was hatched. Ted Aguilar set it all up. I'd also like to thank Blue Mic Microphones for providing the podcast with the Yeti Blue Mics and Skull Candy headphones, because without their aviator headphones, this Skype-recorded episode couldn't have happened. Also, if you dig what you're hearing, please leave a comment on the iTunes store. doesn't cost you a dime takes a few seconds, and it helps offset the nonstop campaigns from pop singers we are inundated with every time, you know, someone logs on to the iTunes store. Okay, 
a podcast episode for KISS fans and non-KISS fans alike. If you've ever been caught up in fandom for any band, I think you'll enjoy this episode because Jonathan Fenno is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. Hey, Jonathan, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Good, and I'm glad that I tracked you down uh, via the Death Angel guys. And you and I have been emailing each other, trying to figure out how to schedule this podcast for maybe two months now. So you're here, I'm here. Let's just start right off the bat. Will Carroll told me those stories. We heard them in the intro. Claire, please, I, I need to know your version of the stories that Will told me about you. Oh, okay. uh, there were two of them. So the first one was the story about Gene Simmons and his fanzine Cosmos or Cosmos Stiletto or whatever, and you having a copy of that. Tell me how much of that is true. Tell me if you have the copy, et cetera, et cetera. Let's start with that story. Well, let's see. Actually, Cosmos Stiletto, there's 12 of those, and there's two of them that were called Fawn at the end of that. And I believe the first four were only called Cosmos. So, um, And Fawn is spelled F-A-U-N. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, those, I got lucky. Um, a friend, Marlon, collects horror stuff. And this guy, Steve Dolnick, who was a major, major dealer, um, I think from the 60s, uh, had these fanzines. And Marlon chatted with him on the phone, and he said, hey, do you know any KISS fans? I have these magazines I want to pawn off. And Marlon said, yeah. And I bought them, not even knowing what they were. This is around 93, so before the Internet and all that kind of stuff. Right. And uh, he had, I didn't know what they were. I was just buying them. And uh, come to find out, yeah, they were Gene's fanzines he had done. And also, um, I rented, I finally rented to Steve Cornell, who collaborated and did artwork for that. Mm-hmm. He co-wrote Going Blind and She, as KISS fans should know. And um, also, Gene's first best friend, Seth Dogermahan. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. And the reason why that's important is because those guys actually were Gene's first band together. Those three um, played music together, like La Bamba, things like that in the 60s. Okay. So uh, then those guys also did the fanzine. So anyways, I I bought out, I think, eight of the Cosmos and Cosmos Stilettos, no fonts, and also some other ones uh, that were fanzines that they contributed to, but they actually didn't print. And... um, they're great. I, I need to get them on the internet um, and photos because they have like Jean's mom's mailing address and he scratches out her name and puts Jean Klein on it. And it's, it, they're really amazing. And the write ups are fairly good. They talk about Planet of the Apes and uh, gosh, uh, a lot of other 60s stuff. I can't remember. They're packed away. But, anyways, uh, finally, three years later in 96, through my Kiss fanzine, I used to help run Kiss Heaven. Uh, we we had an all-day working pass to hang out with KISS. It was a thank you 
for all the years we'd done the Kiss fanzine because there was so much hype on Kiss, we weren't going to get free tickets and passes anymore. So we had an all-day pass instead of just a meet-and-greet and a photo pass like we usually did. Right. So I, I had this stack of stuff, and and this is right after Soundcheck. And I go, Gina, I wanted to show you some fanzines I have. And he goes, oh, yeah, which ones? And I go, some of yours. And I whipped out, <laughs> I, I whipped out this... <laughs> It's like a six-inch pile of, of fanzines. And, uh, and I had one called Tinderbox that he had done, and I thought it was going to impress him. And he goes, oh, there's like 50 of those. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of those. I said, but you have Cosmos Stiletto number 11. I go, I haven't seen this since I printed it. I only did about 20 of these, maybe 25 at the most. And I go, well, Gene, actually, I have three of them. <laughs> And he goes, well, what do you want for it? <clears throat> and I go, well, I said, I know it's not worth any of your costume pieces, but I've been thinking about it. And uh, I would love to have a guitar strap because I know it's not part of your costume, but, you know, it would be, it would be a feasible trade, I think. And he's all, well, I don't want to get rid of that. It's not something, you know, I'm attached to that emotionally. It's part of my demon I don't, I don't, I don't want to get rid of that. He goes, "How about a bag of picks?" What? And I laughed and I giggled, and I go, "Well, those are pretty common." He goes, "Are you sure?" He goes, "There's like 250 in a lot." Oh my god! And and I said, "No," I said, "You know, this is from your childhood, and it's pretty rare. And if you haven't seen it, I think maybe, you know, the guitar strap's fair." So I can't do that. You know, he goes, "I'm sorry." Then we had been talking before, and he goes, all right, I have to get ready. And he pulls his hand over his face, and, you know, and he goes, I have to get ready. And he meant, you know, he had to get ready and do his makeup and costumes. Right. right. So, anyways, um, for eight years to 2004, where I think that's when his book came out, I yeah. said, hey, Gene, still have that Cosmos 11 I have. And he goes, yeah, Jonathan. And he remember my name, which is great. And he goes, I still have a bag of pics for you. <laughs> <laughs> but get this. <laughs> no, I know. But the greatest thing about it, he was looking at it as a financial deal. Right. Ninety-six. I, I looked on eBay, and the pics were going to like, were like forty to fifty bucks a shot. So I mean, I would have, you know, if I was looking to trade for a financial gain, it would have been smarter, you know. I don't think I could get, you know, that much money selling his guitar strap. Maybe back then, but it'd be hard to verify it. So but yeah. wait a minute, each pick was going for forty dollars. Yeah, back in '96, because anything Kiss was just going crazy, and that was the first time, you know, there were Kiss picks with Ace and Paul Gene as far as makeup. So yeah, those picks were selling for that much, not just like being offered they were being bought at that right so he thought like a bag of picks of 200 picks at 40 dollars a pop would be worth the the fanzine that you had of his but i didn't see it that way i wanted you know who does yeah so <laughs> yeah so and um to clear the other story okay wait a minute the other story was will told me you went to the guy one of the two guys who are on the back of Kiss Alive with the um, the banner, holding the banner, 
you went to one of their houses recently and offered to buy the banner. <laughs> well, that's where it's completely false. But I did meet them, so this is a great story. Okay. <laughs> so in 87, there was a Crazy Nights all-special Kiss magazine or something, and I was flipping through it, and there's a photo of the two guys, and they actually printed the names, Bruce Redute and Lee Neves. And I go, wow, those are the guys. It'd be cool to meet those guys. And then later on, I'm flipping through my Kiss magazine. I go, man, I want to buy the banner from them. I mean, I am a hoarder. <laughs> I, you know, I want to tell you about my collection later, but let's stick to the story. Yeah. Um, so this is, I believe, 91. Or, or no, 92, because Eric Carr had already passed. Um, I am... Um, I called information around Detroit and I said, hi, I'm looking for Lee Neves. And they had, they didn't have any, any phone numbers uh, in any of the area codes. So I tried Bruce Redute and thinking those were kind of straight, uh, not so common names. It'd be easy to find them. And sure enough, there was a phone number. Right. And I called, uh, his wife answered and I left a message and Bruce called me back. Hey man, how's it going? You big kiss fan too. And I'm like, yeah, I started just calling because, you know, yeah, because I'm on the back of the Kiss Alive with the banner, right? And I go, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, would you be interested in selling it? Because I have a Kiss museum uh, through my Kiss fanzine called Kiss Heaven, and I'd love to do an interview with you and possibly buy it for our museum, which is basically my room, trying to hype it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was a Kiss museum. I mean, it, you know. Right, right. Insanity. Now it's packed away because things change. But um, she goes, well, you know, it's 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 a godsend that that you called because I'm really hurting. You know, I'm a fisherman. It's been really slow, and it would really help me a lot if if I could sell it. But I'd have to talk to Lee. Blah blah blah. Because you know, it's part of his too. So this this calling him, I give him every couple weeks, and he wasn't there. Or I'd leave a message or I'd talk to his wife. Then he sent me a package out of nowhere um, when we chatted. And it was it was like photocopies of his ticket stubs and his backstage passes. Um, and I go, well, that's great. But I was interested in the banner. He goes, well, I'm showing you my collection. And I go, well, do you not have it or is it lost? And he goes, no, I have it. But. You know, when when we met all those guys back in '84, and they signed it, they signed it. You know, that they signed a picture for us, and I'm like, okay. And I said, well, did you have them sign the banner? And he said, no. And I said, oh, that's good. And he goes, well, why? I think it'd have been smart to have them sign it. I go, well, Bruce Kulick and Eric Carr were in the band when you met them in '84. And he goes, who's that? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Of Kiss, and I go, well, do you like any new Kiss songs? He goes, well, uh, Detroit Rock City is a pretty good new song. And this oh was in, God. like, 92, and I go, okay. <laughs> He's, he was frozen in time. Yeah. So then I didn't want to, you know, make him feel, you know, out of, out of touch or anything. I said, well, right. you know, I'd really like the banner, and, you know, I would offer you at least 1000 maybe $1,100 for it. You know, and I said, I live in San Francisco, and that kind of triggered something. And so after another month, I noticed he wasn't calling me back. And then finally one time he answered the phone. And I go, hey, it's Jonathan. You know, I really want to. He goes, look, man, 
don't call me. Don't call me. You got a father, Lee, man. Don't call me. And I said, well, do you want to sell the banner? I'm not talking to you anymore. Okay, slam shut. Uh, I didn't know what happened. And I, I didn't have Lee's number or an address. So I gave it up. Comes 1995, three years later. Second part of three part of the story. Kurt Gooch. Okay. He's the one who did the official touring history of Kiss. Okay. Um, Kurt Gooch and I are good friends. We met on, on the Revenge Tour um, when he was following them on the road. You know, we hung out um, at my house and th three of the meet and greets. So anyways, um, Kurt and I became really good friends. And in 95, I said, hey, I want to do this book, man, about all the, the, the live shows Kiss ever did and try to get, you know, information about it. I'm like, all right, well, what do you want to do? He goes, well, dude, you have the biggest Kiss bootleg collection, and those all the Kiss Army uh, fanzine, you know, newsletters with all the dates. Can we go through those and all your videos? And I said, yeah. So, you know, this is, you know, on the phone when it's long distance and people are paying to chat. So anyways, I went through all 600 of my bootleg audio tapes and about two or 300 of my, my videos. And we took notes of all the rare things that were said or played or happened in those to document things. And come to find out later on, Kurt gets a hold of Bruce to interview him for the magazine to try to get um, information about the Kobo shows and the 74 shows to see anything was there. And Kurt goes, yeah, I'm a friend of Jonathan Finno from San Francisco. And he goes, yeah, I know him, man. That guy wanted the banner. And he goes, well, yeah, how come you didn't sell it to him? And uh, pardon the, uh, the quote-unquote of what he says. This is not anything I said. But he goes, that guy's a fag, man. I mean, a real faggot. He lives in San Francisco. I'm not going to sell him anything. And uh, Kurt, Gooch didn't <laughs> Kurt Gooch didn't tell me that. He goes, but I've got a big story about your friend, Bruce and Lee and why they didn't sell you the banner. And I was meeting Kurt at the, um, at the big uh, Detroit show at the um, Tiger Stadium in 96. So I'm, I'm kind of I'm excited I'm going there. You know, I went to the right. Winnie Road show, and it was great. Cried my heart out, you know, an hour of old Kiss stuff, you know, like a walkthrough for the big show in Detroit. I think it was like two weeks before. So I go to Detroit, see the show. I meet... Kurt and I hop on the corner um, down there, and there's about 20 of the Kiss fans. And he goes, hey, Jonathan, you made it, man. He goes, you're a fag. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, man, that's what Bruce, Bruce and, and, and Lee think of you, man. That's why you didn't get the banner, because he thought you were gay. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, man. He goes, you was freaked out because you were calling him so much. <laughs> so I never got the banner. <laughs> that is crazy. That yeah. You know, I guess he was, you know, not comfortable talking to somebody who lived in San Francisco. But even though I'm not gay or it doesn't matter if I'm not. The whole city is. Just like everybody in California lives on the beach, even though I surf, you know, I wear a wetsuit and I freeze, you know. So anyways, um, third part of the story, which closes it. <laughs> 2009, I fly to, to the two Cobo Hall shows to close out Cobo Hall. Right. During rock and roll night, there's this big tall guy with a kiss banner <laughs> Walking up and down, and I'm second row. And I look, and I could tell it was him, except his hair had thinned out. And I go, that's Bruce. 
oh my god, he still has the banner. And the thing was huge. I mean, it's as wide as like a normal size car. And it's about three feet tall. It is much bigger than what it looks on the album cover. Right. And so after the show, he's walking around holding it up and people taking photos. And I go, Bruce, hey, man, it's Jonathan. Oh, you want a photo with me, man, or something? And I go, no, it's Jonathan from San Francisco, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I laughed. And I just, my friend Kristen is a knockout, you know, and stuff. And I'm with her. And he's all, what are you talking about, man? I said, look, I'm not gay. I'm the guy who wanted to buy the banner back in, in 92. And you said no. And you didn't tell me why. I said, look, I'm not gay. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, well, why don't you meet Lee, man? Why don't we take photos, man? I'm really sorry, man. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry I, I misjudged you, man. He goes, you look cool. <laughs> we kind of became friends. And, you know, I, I took photos with them holding the banner and, that's how that story goes. So I don't know how he uh, he got the, um, the I don't know how he got the uh, idea of I went straight to his house. The only thing I can think is maybe he correlated that with um, a guy named Richard Reese who actually did some uh, touring work with Kiss um, uh, from the club days till about Alive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was friends on the on the Bill Coin side, not the Kiss side. Um, so he was kind of in the background. He had a velvet painting done by some famous painting of the first album cover. My friend Mike and I actually went to his house and knocked on his door. I said, hey, man, you know, not many people have a first album velvet photo who you know, live in the rich part of San Francisco. What's going on? What makes me wonder about the, the, the banner was you, were, you almost had it for a thousand bucks. Now, yeah, which was a lot. Back in 92, 93 for me. Yeah, because I'm just thinking, uh, that's a steal, man. If you were from L.A. or San Diego, that banner could be yours. Uh, <laughs> or Oakland, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's quite interesting that I'm now, did you try to buy it off him at, at Cobo Hall? Did you talk about buying it again? offered he said yeah he goes i've had offers for like 30 grand straight right. cash from it and i still said no we have it he actually has it insured for over a hundred thousand dollars and and he goes at the time he goes i really would have needed the money but i'm glad i didn't because you know this is something i'm going to pass on to my kids and when i heard that that's a true appreciation of a fan and i never wanted to fleece somebody out of something they weren't comfortable parting with you know, I'm not conniving when I buy out people's collections. You know, I'm always sure that you don't have any emotional, um, like, you know, loss. Attachment, yeah. Okay, I own an original Kiss Coventry flyer, and it's signed to me. I own Ace's 1977 Japanese Kiss tour jacket. I got through him by Lydia Chris, who's an old friend of mine. I own Peter Chris's Love Gun leather vest that I bought off him from the 1995 Kiss convention. And I own three of the Dynasty Green Tiger 
um, tales that, that, that were from his costume. I own every press kit from the first one till uh, Psycho Circus. The first press kit is completely signed on every photo. I own every Kiss album from the first one up until Sonic Boom completely autographed whoever member that was there. I have the first Kiss promo poster completely signed to me. Uh, we talked about buying out people's Kiss collections. Randy Piper's Kiss collection, I got the first Kiss sticker, the first Kiss button from him, the postcard announcing the first Kiss TV appearance, and the invite for the first um, album par um, party in L.A. Uh, that announces Kiss as the underground band on Casablanca Records. Um, I own the great Kiss Off t-shirt, which is the first album promo um, push they did when people had the kissing contest in five or six cities that they talked about on the 1974 Mike Douglas TV show. Uh, I own one of Paul's fire hats. I own the Kiss pinball machine. Uh, the Cosmo stilettos. Oh. <laughs> what else do you want to know? Out of everything that you mentioned, the one thing that the one item I would love to own more than all of those, and all of those are amazing, is the first thing you said, the Coventry ticket stub. No, it's the flyer, not the stub. Oh, it's the flyer. Me never wanting to be a rock star, I've actually, luckily, through, through Kiss 7, the magazine, and the tribute band, uh, have taken my life places I would have never dreamed. I mean, I've met Kiss over 15 times, and that's before you had to pay to meet them. And, you know... It was my dream to meet them, and at 18, I did in 1990 by chance. A friend had two passes that were stuck together, so he gave me one. Luckily, that was the night I was wearing Eric Carr's uh, Palladium T-shirt, and he just freaked out. I hadn't seen that since the show, and I got to tell him, you know, I remember staying home, uh, watching Kids Are People too, almost getting kicked off the football team because, you you know, you were, you were going to be on TV, and I couldn't miss that. <laughs> I remember that show. You can, you can see that show on YouTube. I think someone uploaded it. Just somewhere, it's pretty bad copy. But I just remember seeing the sparks and walking out, and just to see him in real life it was great. And uh, you know, and he was he was miffed, and he pulled me. He said, hey man, let's go see Joe, Gene, and Paul. He said, hey man, look, this guy's wearing my, my shirt. This guy's wearing my shirt. You know, and, and they're all, oh, oh yeah, and they're just interested in all the hot Japanese girls giving him gifts. You know, <laughs> right. So. <laughs> Eric really treated me as a friend, and uh, it, it was just, you know, I just met him, and even though we only hung out for 10 minutes, it just meant a lot to me. I was like, what, 20? You know, I just, 18, it's 1990, so I must have been 20, but it meant a lot to me. You know, that was my dream since about 9 or 10 is to meet them. You know, just to be honest, you know, Kiss is really emotional for me. I didn't have a dad growing up because my mom separated, and I guess it's good I didn't lose a dad so i don't know what it is uh, you know to, to lose one i i just don't have one so my father, my father figures were kiss and you know a couple other people growing up so it was it meant lots to kind of meet them to tell them how much they meant to me growing up and how important it was as a foundation of you know the good part of it i didn't hard hard like Jason peter you know but uh they definitely set me on a track to believe in myself and to be positive and get through tough times and uh, that's why I'm loyal for, to the KISS, because of a lot of things like that. Well, and same here. Um, not for those reasons, but I've, I've said this uh, in interviews before, that growing up as an only child, I used to pretend that 
you know, those guys were my brothers. Right. Yeah. And, you know. And because of the makeup that kind of obscured the skin color a bit, I didn't know what color skin they really had. So they could have been my brothers. That's how I I thought of it when I was a kid. They are, man. I mean, they are brothers in spirit because, you know, sometimes it's in you. It just gets brought out. I don't think they actually taught us a belief. It's it's kind of in you already. It's just, you know, morphed to to to, to your surface. I just think that as a brother, then, yeah. Gene, Gene should have offered up the the, uh, the the guitar strap over the picks, <laughs> the bag of picks. That is that's still kind of that. I'm I'm kind of blown away by that. Yeah. That oh. he still insisted about that. He still has the bag of picks. Yeah, I gotta tell you, um, that convention in '95. This slips my mind because you know it's years ago. Tommy Thayer actually let me carry in Gene's hotter than hell um, uh, shoulder tops, you know, the shoulder top wings, the back to stick out of the shoulders. He, he let me carry that from the truck and play it and, and display it because uh, we had to load in when they did load in. Right. And uh, well, people have to know that back in '95, Tommy Thayer wasn't in. In Kiss, as he's in Kiss now, but he was Gene's. What would you say, assistant, personal assistant? His right hand man. His yeah. road, his tech, his video editor, his gopher, you name it. But when the Elder came out, that was the year I found out there wasn't a Santa Claus because I was snooping in my mom's um, closet um, for, for something she put me on restriction for or something. And I came across, oh, tracks, records, and tapes. What's this? And I opened it. The Elder, Kiss. What? This isn't out yet. I didn't know it was out, but I heard talk of it, and I opened it up to play it, and it was so strange. And I was like, you know, I like this, and I don't care that people don't like I Was Made For Loving You, and this is different, too, and I'm going to like Kiss for the rest of my life, no matter what they put out. I said that to myself, man, on my knees, standing in front of my mom's closet. And uh, I just knew that I was going to be Kiss fan forever from then on. 